You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. Welcome back to all of our participants here for a Sunday Gospel Reflection with Deacon Daniel Dozier, uh, looking at our Byzantine lectionary for this Sunday of, believe it or not, drum roll please, publican and Pharisees headed directly towards the beginning of Great Lent. Right. Um, and so here we are with the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee. I'm just going to bring up on the screen here one of my favorite texts, Father Alexander Schmemann's work, Great Lent, which is a classic, classic work. I encourage everybody now in these weeks beforehand to get yourself in order, and that is to get this book. I always have it sitting here on my desk throughout the Lenten season as a, as a regular reference, so I encourage you to do that also. So let's take a look here at this text, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 14, Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 14. And one of the first things, Deacon Daniel, I'm going to ask you after we read the text is where does this fit in the story? But you know, one of the good things you can always do as a good practice is just look at the number of the chapter. Like you're at chapter 18 out of what? How many chapters in the gospel of Luke here? Uh, 20, uh, 24 chapters. So you know, you know, you're kind of heading toward the end, right, of the gospel story. And you can usually kind of locate it easily that way, but you're going to give us, put a little more meat on those bones, okay? But that's the first thing. Where is this story taking place? In the story of Jesus's ministry. And then you can better understand why he's saying what he's saying. Okay, Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Mm -hmm. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's one of those classic teachings of Christ. And because it's one of his classic teachings, it's easy for us to kind of kind of close off our ears. We've heard it so many times, the story, but we want to make sure that we're getting everything we can out of this parable, which is very much relevant for us today. So Deacon Daniel, our goal here is not necessarily to replace the homily that our, our pastor, our priest is going to give on Sunday, but to make sure we know the historical, political, whatever, biblical context. So give us, lay out the, lay, lay out the land for us here. Yeah, so, so this particular account, this, this parable that Jesus tells, uh, comes right after a parable that he tells about the widow and the unrighteous judge 
And then right before his, his uh, conversation with the rich, rich young ruler and his third prediction of his death and resurrection. So we're very clearly in this movement towards Jerusalem uh, where Jesus is going to offer his life through the, what we call the Paschal mystery of his, his passion, his death, and ultimately his victory in the resurrection. And so he's, he's talking a lot about, uh, about righteousness and, uh, and judgment. So these are things that are, are starting to come up. And this is also right after that, that situation with the 10 lepers that we talked about uh, not long ago. And so, so Jesus traveling with this multitude uh, headed towards Jerusalem is going to tell a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think to understand why Jesus tells this particular parable uh, to a specific audience, you have to go back one verse. So we, we read uh, verse uh, 10 through, what was it, uh, 8? Uh, sorry, 10, 10, through, through, 10 through 14. And 14. by the way, there's a good, good, stock, good place to remember. Don't just, you know, haul into church on Sunday because you're doing it out of context. You've got to go back and read the text and read the context of the text. That's what I'm saying about knowing yeah. where this is at. But just go back a few verses even helps identify exactly where this is going on in the story. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what, we, what we get when we read that first verse uh, in this particular account in verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So another uh, translation is to some who were confident in their own righteousness uh, and looked down on everyone or, or despised other people. So Jesus is, is directing this parable towards a specific part of, of this group that's following him, uh, those who believe that they are righteous and they're looking down their noses at other people. Uh, yeah. And he's going to tell a parable, which is a story that, uh, that could actually have happened, uh, you know, in terms of people could see it as, oh, I, I could see this as a credible story. It could happen. And it's a story about two people who go into the temple, uh, one being a Pharisee and the other being a tax collector. But he's telling right. for a specific uh, purpose in light of, of what's coming, this, this righteous judgment that, that is coming. So, you know, there's, you gotta, I think it's helpful for us to kind of just stand in the picture. I, for me, that's probably the most helpful when I'm reading the gospel is to always stand in the story and kind of look around. Seriously, like, what's it look like in the temple? That's a really helpful thing, by the way, if you can do research and things like that to kind of get a sense of where they would have been standing in the temple. What does Jerusalem look like at the time? So for that, those are all helpful things. And, and uh, you know, who's standing around Jesus in this, at this time? And then, uh, you know, because he's obviously, like you're saying, he's heading towards his passion. And then there's, there's groups around him, as we've seen in this, as he makes his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. There's different groups are kind of hanging around with him for different reasons. And they're, they themselves have their own conversations going on. Right. And, and you can kind of, hear those conversations taking place by what Jesus, because Jesus hears all things, right? So he's, he's, he knows what's going on over there and over there. And there's conversations going on among these, right. apparently among these, these Pharisees. And there's probably some, some, some of the tax collectors hanging around too over there. And so, so Jesus kind of breaks into this thing and starts telling this story. So these are the first two things we find out about yep. are the identity of these two guys. That's right. Um, and, and we need to, we need to kind of dig that out. So, Help us understand 
who are the Pharisees? They get a bad rap in scripture and in the gospel account, they get a pretty bad rap. And, uh, but some of them actually come to faith, right? When Nicodemus was a Pharisee and at first things aren't so good with Nicodemus, but over time he's, so there's, they're listening to Jesus and they're kind of dealing with their own, their own issues going on. And then who are the, who are the publicans or the, the tax collectors? Okay. Yeah. So, so Jesus with this multitude, as you're, as you're pointing out, they all kind of have their own understanding of the mission of Jesus and what righteousness is all about. And they, they probably also have their own agenda. So, uh, so Jesus is really addressing, as you're saying, you know, not just the broader crowd, but, but some of the interior dialogue that's probably going on in themselves about what righteousness is all about. And this is why he is the great teacher. This is why he's going to teach them a path of holiness. Now, one of those groups uh, that you mentioned, the Pharisees, and this is a figure in the story. We have the, the story of the Pharisee. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for, for uh, Pharisee is peroshim. These uh, were the separated ones, ones, which is what perishim means. Uh, in other words, these are the ones that believed that their righteousness uh, was really predicated upon their separation from the nations. And in a certain, to a certain extent, they were correct because the Old Testament understanding, especially of the law, was, uh, first of all, God had called Israel from out of the nations and he separated them from the nations for a reason. And that's because the nations were full of idolaters. These were people who worshipped false gods and goddesses that served, you know, these temples and actually engaged in all sorts of awful ritual practices in deference to these gods. And so they, they were a people who were called out of that idolatrous pool of the nations uh, to, to follow the law, to follow the Torah, uh, to worship the one true God, to know his name, to call upon his name. All of that was very, very true. And in fact, God had uh, specifically for the priestly caste, that is the Levites, had a specific code of holiness they had to follow. And so the Pharisees, as the separated ones, uh, were going to keep and observe that priestly code of holiness, even though they were essentially what we would call lay people. So these were, these were the laity who said, look, if we're going to be righteous, if we're going to be a kingdom of priests, we need to follow the holiness code of the, of the priests uh, and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah and the great and glorious revelation of the messianic kingdom uh, after David. And so they brought a lot of rigor and, and focus on a very meticulous following of the law, especially in in those areas that really heightened their own sense of national identity. You know, for instance, circumcision and tithing and certain washing rituals and so forth, keeping the Shabbat, keeping the Sabbath, all of these things that heightened their own identity and separation from the nations. Now, why was that? Well, they were under Roman occupation. They had these pagan Roman oppressors Uh, who uh, were basically controlling things, they were being occupied and had been occupied for the most part since the return from Babylon and the building of the second temple. So, you know, if you think about, you know, thinking about things in context, you have this heightened sense of nationalism in part because they're being oppressed. And so the Pharisees are the ones, they see themselves as the separated ones. They want to demonstrate the righteousness according to the law. But it wasn't just a righteousness according to, you know, the, the virtues that were being taught by the law. It was, it was a sort of a sense of self-righteousness. Uh, it, even among the Jews, they saw themselves as separated ones. Uh, so it wasn't just separated from the pagans. We're, we're kind of the elite core, if you will, of the law, of the Torah of Moses. And so they were regarded by many of the people as the teachers of the law. Even though they weren't official teachers, they were regarded really as the teachers. In fact, 
the Pharisaic Judaism becomes the basis for rabbinical Judaism after the destruction of the temple. So what we know today is Judaism comes from largely the, uh, the, the body of teaching and the practices of, of the Pharisees. Hmm. Now, as this, as the story develops now, we, we get this detail, which actually ends up this, this story and this kind of back and forth that takes place ends up being so important, almost the heart and center of our Byzantine spirituality Right. What we know is, as the Jesus prayer, we'll have a chance to get to that. But yeah. there's this dynamic. The dynamic becomes so important for us in our spiritual growth. You know, I, I was thinking that both of these men here at the outset look very similar. Yes. Both of them believe in God. Yep. Right. Both of them go to church on Sunday, if you will. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of them pray. Yep. You know. But uh, but then, what is outwardly apparent apparent becomes uh, becomes the the roads begin where the road was very close. It was like a, they're on the same path. Right. There's a divergence. The road begins to to part. That's right. Almost imperceptibly to the outsider. Right. But the Lord gives us this beautiful moment of the interior life. That's right. And it's there where the road begins to diverge. And I, and I just, I said, say that out, you know, put that out there for our participants that, you know, it does, the, the, the Lord, God's not blind. Right. You know? uh, and we hear oftentimes, especially in the, in the Christian West, these ideas of obligation and, and, and fulfillment and so forth like that. But at the end of the day, both these guys went, I mean, I'm using it obviously in a kind of a funny manner, but they, they both fulfilled their Sunday obligation, if you will. <laughs> Right. They both went to church and they both did what they were supposed to do, but they, but what, how they did it made all the difference in the world. So, so, and and I think that's exactly uh, a a great segue into what happens when the Pharisee comes to pray uh, first, uh, because Jesus then focuses first on the Pharisee. And that's, that's really the representative of that target audience that he has in mind when he's preaching his homily. Because first of all, he enters the temple and where does he stand? He goes up to the front. He goes up to the front part where he had access to as, as a layperson in the temple to pray. Now, we remember in one of the, one of the discussions we had last time, this idea of zones of purity, uh, that these were the uh, kind of, you think about it, concentric circles of holiness, close proximity to the, to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, at least in the first temple. Uh, this was the holiest place. And then outward bands, you know, going forward. So, so if you were righteous, you could get closer. If you had access to, to the Holy of Holies, you were close to the Lord. In fact, we could probably imagine, you know, that some of these Pharisees, if they, if they liked Jesus and they believed he was, you know, something good was going to happen with him, they were probably trying to shuffle in close to Jesus because, you know, here you have this embodiment of, of God moving among his people. They probably wanted to be close to him, you know, because this is where the power was, you could imagine. Uh, but here the Pharisees, he stands closer to the Holy of Holies, and he's standing, which was a posture of prayer. We do it as Byzantines. We stand and, and we pray. But he's praying something that's very interesting. First of all, he thanks God that he is righteous and not like uh, other men. So he's, he's thanking God for his righteousness. Uh, now, that was a very, at the time, that was considered very traditional. You know, thank you, God, you are the source of all righteousness. Uh, thank you for making me righteous. But what he means by righteous is in that second part of the prayer, unlike these other people. In other words, this idea of being separated. You've made me not like these other people. Uh, you know, look at all the practices I have. I tithe, you know, 
uh, I, I fast. In fact, the Jews would fast on, on Mondays and Thursdays. And the early Christians in the first century, according to the teaching of the Didache, changed those two fasting days to Wednesdays and Fridays to differentiate themselves from, from that practice of, of the Jews at the time. But so he's, he goes through his list of all the things that he does. And he said, but unlike this, even this, this tax collector behind me, you know, now what is he doing? He's comparing his holiness not to God, in whose presence he's, he's right. basically standing in the temple. He's comparing his holiness to the guy in the back, to the tax collector, you know. And, and this for us should be one of the key insights. When it comes to standards of holiness, it's not about other people. It's about the holiness of God. You know, we say in the Trisagion hymn, you know, uh, you know, holy God, holy and mighty one, holy and immortal one, have mercy on us. You know, the holiness of God, that's the standard that we should compare ourselves to, not to what other people are doing. But he's, he's again, he's that separated one. He wants to focus more on his own righteousness in comparison to, to others. You know, as um, you're, you're talking, I'm reminded of our, of our uh, practice in the Christian East of, confessing before an icon of christ yeah. uh, because because that icon is our is is our mirror right that's our that's we are made in his image and likeness it's only uh, there was a beautiful insight from a, a priest i learned from once you see a confession is first and foremost about confessing christ yes and then it's only when i confess who he is that i can know how far i am away from my calling my high calling as a son of god but right. as you're saying this guy doesn't look to God and realize his relationship with him. He's looking backwards, yes. you know, at this, at the other guy, I, I came across a beautiful quotation from CS Lewis mm -hmm. he says this, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. Mm. But when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. And we become, we become yeah. blind. And uh, this is this journey now the church is placing before us is pre-Lenten uh, and this pilgrimage to Pascha is all about this awareness, awareness of the presence of God in my life. And then as a result of that awareness of his presence, then to know where I am in comparison to my high calling as a son of God. Yeah, exactly. And if we think about what the Pharisee is, is talking about, he could basically be saying, I pray, I fast, I give alms. You know, these are all things that we talk about during the great fast, which is yeah. one of the reasons why, you know, right. chose this particular passage, because this is, this is what we do. So you're right. His, his focus interiorly is not towards the Lord. It's, it's his right. eyes are behind him. And this makes him blind. Jesus uses the idea of spiritual blindness all the time to apply to the Pharisees. Yeah. Guides, you know, they're not going to teach you the righteousness, which fulfills the law. They're going to teach you the righteousness of the letter, uh, but without the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, okay. Now this got this guy. He's standing there, and he's standing there in church, right? right. <laughs> and he's and he's and he's praying. And uh, but he's but we have his prayer. But now the the story shifts. Right. And he gives us this other guy. This in in some translations a tax collector, and other translations a publican. So help right. us understand, like you did with the Pharisee, who these yeah. guys are. Yeah. So the publicans were very important civil servants in the Roman Empire. They had great power. Uh, you know, especially early on, but even at this particular time in the New Testament, uh, not just because they were tax collectors. That was one of their responsibilities, one of their areas of, of responsibility for the Roman Empire. They were also the, the public contractors. Uh, so these were the individuals. You wanted a building built, you went to the publican. Uh, you know, these were powerful men, and they had access to wealth and power and decision-making, uh, but they also had 
tax collection, a tax collection role, and they even had their own henchmen who could, uh, you know, who could make sure that, hey, you need to pay your taxes. They were basically the IRS agent. You know, you have, you have one of the henchmen of the publicans showing up. It's like having the IRS show up at your door. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to have that happen. So, uh, so they were not well regarded uh, by anyone uh, under, the, uh, under the, either the occupation or under the rule of the Romans, but especially by the Jews, because these were, again, representatives of those pagan oppressors that were occupying their territory. And so not only were they seen as, especially if they were Jews, uh, not only were they seen as collaborators with the Roman empires, they were traitors. They were traitors, not just to the people of God, but to God's law, uh, because they were cooperating with idolaters. Uh, so, so they were they were hated by the people, and we and we saw that uh, you know if you read through the story of Zacchaeus, you would have seen you know he was not well liked by the people. Well, here we have another story of a publican or a tax collector uh, who would not have been well liked by the audience that Jesus is is speaking to. You know, um, now we've got we have it's interesting. Jesus gives his bodily uh, their their stature right there. He's standing. This guy yeah. this guy's afar off. So. Uh, you just get a sense that there's a whole different approach of how these people are entering into the presence of God. Not so much about you know, standing versus sitting or very, being close or being far, but but just uh, attitude in prayer that uh, the guy, this Pharisee is not only standing, but he's apparently standing very much with his chest out. Yes. Yes. Whereas yes. this guy takes a whole different approach, a whole different attitude to the Lord. That's right. In fact, what the verse says, uh, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So that, that interior posture is expressed outwardly in that he doesn't even lift up his eyes. Get the sense that, you know, to see God, to see the righteousness of God, he sees the righteousness of God and recognizes, I am, I am not like God. And all that, of course, is reinforced socially by the Jews. And they're all probably saying, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's not like God. You know, he's not a righteous one like that Pharisee. Yeah. But in fact, what he's, his response, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It, it, it comes at the end of the Trisagion, right? You know, holy God, holy mighty one, holy immortal one, have mercy on us. So in the face of God's holiness, it's the tax collector that responds with that final part of the prayer, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And uh, this, this posture of prayer interiorly in terms of his heart uh, and, uh, and expressed bodily is why Jesus says that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. In other words, by justified, he was in a right relationship with God mm. rather than the Pharisee because he understood his own sinfulness and he was repentant of that sinfulness. And unlike the Pharisee who, who said, thank you, God, for making me not like other men. And, uh, and so holy and good. There's lots to take away from this story. Uh, there's lots, especially I would say in our, in our uh, kind of smaller, more intimate Byzantine churches, yes. where we kind of know everybody that's there for the most part. And oftentimes we've been in this church with them for years, sometimes a lifetime. <laughs> and we've, uh, we've had various relationships, breaking of relationships, frustrations in the family, right. uh, the, in the church family and so forth, that it allows us to kind of place ourselves in this story. Right. And without doing a you know, disservice to the gospel text, right. to place ourselves in the middle of the church. 
and to say, how am I, what is my relationship with the, with the person who's standing here in the church with me and my relationship with God and how I'm approaching, how I'm approaching things in my prayer on Sunday. There's a lot to glean. I'm sure you've got some insights for us. No, no. And I think that's, that's so true. Cause, cause if we, again, looking at the gospel in context, I alluded to the, the passage uh, in uh, chapter 18 on the parable of the widow and the unrighteous judge. One of the the themes that's in this story of the publican and the Pharisee is that of righteous judgment. To go before the Lord in the temple was not just to go and experience his holiness. It was also to stand before him as we will all stand before him on the day of the great day of judgment, especially the one mentioned in Matthew's gospel. We have the sheep and the goats being divided. This idea of, of coming to the Lord and understanding that He's going to judge. It's not going to be our neighbor that judges us, mm-hmm. even though they probably could. And they could probably, you know, there's a, there's a great story of, uh, that I was told by a bishop one time when early on in his career of priesthood, he, w- he went to, a, to an elderly uh, man's home and his wife was there and he was there to hear his confession and the wife wouldn't leave the room. So, so he said, you know, I need you to leave the room so I can hear his confession. And she said, well, he lies. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, we could probably help each other with our own confessions, right? Because we, we know each other. This is how, how it is. But, but ultimately, it's the Lord. It's, it's his, his, uh, his insight into our motivations, our behaviors. He, we are going to be judged by him. Now, of course, we are judged by love, and that is the ultimate standard. But we need to be ready to repent. So when we enter the church, you know, we, we don't want to necessarily just enter and, and feel like, well, God is just here judging me. It's like, no, we're being judged by love. How, how are we compared to the love of Christ? How are we compared to the love of God that we're called to? And that is really the basis of our righteousness. It's our participation in the love of Christ. And this is one of the reasons why the works of mercy are so much a part of the great fast. It's really one of those things that we don't oftentimes emphasize. We think about, oh, we got to think about the food we eat. You know, we got to go to prayer services. Yeah, but that's all really important. But that should flow outwardly to our, our works of mercy towards others, both spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And that's the charity that, that flows from, from God. You know, as we approach this, uh, uh, this, this Sunday and, and with it all of, of Lent, we have a, an opportunity you know, and that is, and that is to approach this, this Lenten season differently this yeah. year. Um, and, uh, and, and this, I think this Sunday post a big place, a big kind of a warning sign and, and an invitation, you know, and how, and um, you said something that's so important. And we think about justice being justified oftentimes in terms of kind of, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. There's probably various ways to look at it, but I think the way you said it was so right. It's a matter of being in a right relationship with God. And then we talk about being justified in the eyes of others. Am I, am I justified before my brother, you know, and that is, am I right? No, it's, it's a right. Am I in a right relationship with him? Exactly. That's the thing. It's so easy. It's so easy to kind of be like the Pharisee and that is to point the finger at others, you know, but never able to, hold up the kind of the mirror or the icon of Christ in front of ourselves right. uh, and look honestly at where we are in relationship to how God has called us. It's easy to kind of pay that lip service to the Lord to say, I'm a Christian, right. you know, to wear our, our cross around our neck. But when, when we're persecuted or somebody does something unkind to us, what do we, we strike back with vicious words and hatred, 
you know, it's easy, uh, to, it's easy to go to church on Sunday and even pray with our hands lifted up, uh, but never really offer ourselves to God. Um, it's easy to say, I forgive others, but really in our, in our heart, we're far from forgiveness. You know, we pray on Sunday, every Sunday together, we stand together in our community and we pray our father, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others, you know, and then so often we turn around and we refuse to offer forgiveness for, you know, in, 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 the, the very forgiveness we just, we just prayed for. Right. right. Um, and, uh, and, the, you know, I just think, you know, God isn't, isn't blind and he's not deaf and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying this happens to me too. Right. Yeah, I, right. I, and so it's so difficult sometimes as a, as members of the clergy, because we, we hear trickles of things coming through the community of that, that someone you know, said something about, about our, you know, the, the pastor about the deacon or whatever like that. And oftentimes unjustified, and our ten, our ten, it's such a temptation to kind of strike back, you That's know. Right. Um, and uh, but but the Lord invites us to a whole different way of approaching our relationship with Him, uh, and approaching our our relationship with uh, with with our brother, you know. And that's why, that's why the words of the publican are so important. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. You know, we're, we're, we're sinners in the hands of a merciful God, <laughs> you know, where it's not just that God is judging us. He wants to redeem us. So one of the things that's really important then when we think about this particular time is, you know, as recipients of God's mercy, we need to extend mercy to others, but we first need to repent. And that's how we can, we can receive that mercy that will extend to other people during this time. You know, I, I, as I was looking at this text, I wrote down some uh some sentences some questions from god for myself as an opportunity for meditation maybe you can place your own name in this and uh because i think it, it was helpful for me um this is what i wrote down um words from from the lord questions for me okay in this moment standing in the temple there uh father hezekiah you wear your 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 really nice vestments on i love vestments i love beautiful vestments okay <laughs> Um, you wear your vestments every Sunday and the feast days. Um, but when you thought no one was looking, I was there with you. Mm. And didn't you know that mm. when you prayed, did you ever call out to me from your heart? Yes. Did you grow in the grace of faith that I gave you? Or did you let it get stale and old? Right. Did your heart burn for me or was it all for outward appearances? Mm. Did you truly seek reconciliation with those I placed in your life? Or did you allow stupid, petty disagreements to, to divide you from your brother and sister? Yes. Father Hezekiah, where was your heart? Mm. And uh, I think that, that you know, uh, we have Lent ahead of us as a journey and, and journeys lead somewhere. Yes. They lead somewhere. And I, um, and I, I pray for all of our participants in this Sunday gospel reflection that we do every, every week that this Lent will be uh, what it's meant to be. And that is a journey, a journey toward, uh, like you said, Father Daniel, uh, a journey toward a right relationship with God and then uh, a right relationship with our brother to Christ our God, be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization 
dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.